Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, September 14th edition of ATS.io Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined today by professional handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com, also his other site, bettersportspicks.com. We're at chat about college football week three, NFL week two. We've got the full podcast version here of the show. We'll also be doing those highlight videos once again, which you can find over on our ATS YouTube page. A lot of content over at ATS.io right now. We're covering a lot of the top promotions out there in the legal U.S. sports betting industry. We saw two crowd boosters over the weekend, one for the Bears, one for the Colts. Obviously, both of those wound up cashing there. Uh, We talk about all kinds of stuff, lots of pick articles, prediction articles. My college football power ratings are posted over there. And also here today, opening line reports for both the NFL and college football Lots of content over at ATS.io that we highly encourage you to go over there and check out. Like I said, I'm joined by Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper from huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. And Kyle, an interesting weekend for both college football and the NFL here as we start to take a look ahead to the next round of games. It was, yeah. And in full disclosure, I didn't have a very good weekend on my football plays. You know, I'm always honest whether I win or lose. Um, did good in baseball and, and everything else, but uh, kind of a rough weekend for me, especially totals-wise in football. But uh, did take it a bit easy. Only had one college football play. Uh, really had a rough weekend on the NFL plays. But uh, I thought that there were some interesting results and, uh, you know, some things that we'll try to uh, see what it means as far as going forward. You know, we we talked about last week that uh, a little bit cautious, a little bit, you know, not sure what to think about the the season in, in both college football and the NFL. So um, I wanted to be a little bit cautious as we started things out and, you know, not firing too early or too much. So uh, I think we did find out some things that we can apply to this coming week and in the future. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, uh, again, I mean, we talk about overreactions in the college football and the NFL markets. And right now, obviously, college football is a challenge because you've got a limited number of teams, 76 teams that say that they're playing for right now. Uh, We'll see if we add the Big Ten here uh, coming up in the month of October. But, you know, again, it's hard to overreact to one game because all of these teams are still trying to find their way. Lots of missed practice, missed OTAs, all those types of things. But as we look at the NFL market, which we will talk about in the second half of today's show, we are seeing some of those overreactions out there already. We're seeing some line movement, either correcting a number or following along with some of those overreactions. So we'll have plenty of things to talk about here on today's show, as we always do. But we talk about making adjustments, and we talk about you know, sort of evaluating what we've recently seen here. You and I are big into power ratings for college football. Maybe this isn't a great year to be doing a lot with power ratings just because of the limited number of teams, uh, you know, COVID tests throughout the week, all that type of thing. But we're still using those as a guide. As I said, I post those uh, usually every Sunday or very early Monday morning uh, over at ATS.io. But you and I were talking before we started recording here, Kyle, that, you know, we we had to make some some pretty de- some pretty significant, I should say, adjustments here from week two to week three. Absolutely. I think um, there were some pretty big adjustments that were warranted. In some of these cases, I feel like maybe I didn't make a big enough adjustment. Uh, I want to see what the market does. I know you and I like to, uh, we want to be as close as we can to to the market on most of these, because, you know, if you're way off from the market consistently, it's not a very good sign. And the other thing that I know you look at as well is 
I want to see that the opening line actually moves toward my line and not against me. You know, that, that's a dangerous sign if it moves away from uh, what you have too often. And I think that would be a, a sign that you would want to be researching your uh, what you have a little bit more because you certainly don't want that to happen too often. Um, some of the PR adjustments I made here this week. Florida State down four points. Look, I think Norvell's a good head coach, and I know some people will be quick to throw him under the bus. Uh, You definitely shouldn't do that. There are some major problems at Florida State. Um, Blackman clearly isn't the guy. I don't like to, you know, um, badmouth college quarterbacks too much, but I just really don't think he's the answer at quarterback. He's far from the only problem, though. I mean, they have a really bad offensive line. Just uh, really outplayed badly by Georgia Tech. You know, Georgia Tech really should have won that game by more than they did the other day. And Georgia Tech's still a a program that I don't think is really that good. They're still transitioning a bit from their uh, previous style to their current one. So I moved Florida State down four points on the other end and moved Miami up four points. Look, King makes a really big difference for this team. I think his scrambling ability, uh, keep things alive, really helps, especially behind an offensive line that isn't really that good. You know, he's able to make something out of nothing a lot more than uh, the other quarterbacks that they've had have been able to do. It looked like the defense played pretty well against UAB. I know we'll talk more about them here in a game coming up this week. They'll get a bigger test, but I moved them up four points. Army, I moved up four points. I was higher on Army than a lot of people coming into this season. I'm still kicking myself for not playing them last week. Uh, That was my first lean for last week. I thought, I'm getting priced out here against Louisiana Monroe, and I feel like I should have known that there's no way Monroe was going to hang in that game. But uh, this move is largely due to me being off from the close last week, and maybe that was more about Monroe. But I don't want to be too low on Army, so I moved them up four points. A UTSA, maybe this is too big of a move, but I moved them up four points. I'd be curious what you did with them. Uh, their offense was really pretty impressive. I, I thought, especially what they did last year, you know, they couldn't move the football on anybody. I know it was Texas State, but they were playing with some tempo and, and running the football pretty well in that one. So that's some of my major line moves. Yeah, you know, UTSA is in a similar boat for me here. I actually moved them up three and a half points. So not quite as high as you, pretty close to it. Uh, like you said, I mean, they ran the football with great effectiveness. They had a little bit of tempo, which was nice. The second half collapse was obviously not a great look at all. I mean, they played very well in the first half. It was, what, 24-7 to 7 at halftime, and then they wound up you know, not playing as well in the second half. And you know, maybe that kind of speaks to Texas State possibly being a program now that can kind of make some halftime adjustments. But as far as your other ones go, I bumped Army five points. I was a little bit lower than, uh, than the market on them, not just last week, but also going into their week one game. Uh, so I wound up bumping them five points. Miami went up three and a half for me, Florida State down three. And, you know, the thing about it is it's a three-step process for me. And I I think maybe we touched on this last week, maybe we didn't, but it's a three-step process for me in terms of making adjustments. The first step is I compare my line to what the closing line was. If I'm off from that, I start making my first round of adjustments. The second round of adjustments, and we'll talk about this extensively here for a highlight video in a couple of minutes, is to look at the box score, to see what actually happened in this game. Was there something misleading? Was there a big turnover margin discrepancy? Something like that, that really dictated what happened in this game. The third step is, once I get my number, depending on if I've done it before games are released for the following week or not, I will compare to the lines that are out there in the market 
to see if I'm off by a lot, to see you know if it's going in the right direction, stuff like that. So it is a three-step process for me, something that can be you know pretty labor-intensive. Uh, you know, when you've got all 130 teams in play, not as bad right now with the 76 teams, but that is part of it. I, I don't want to be a slave to the results. I don't want to move a team just because they wound up playing really well. I'll move a team based on where I was relative to the market. And you look at that Georgia that Georgia Tech and Florida State game, you know, I moved Florida State down three. I moved Georgia Tech up only one, even though they were the better team in that game because I was already lower than the market to begin with, with my line. So, yeah, I adjusted to the fact that Florida State looked as bad as they did, but it seems like I had Georgia Tech maybe pretty appropriately rated based on where that line was for me and how that game played out. Yeah, I, similar process for me as well. I think that, you know, knowing what the marketplace was on the previous week is probably the most important thing. You know, you don't want to just move it based on results. We've talked about overreactions a lot, and we'll get to talk about it here today. Um, you know, if you just go moving your PRs based on results alone, I think you're in a pretty dangerous territory because especially if you're only looking at final scores, and like you said, we'll talk about misleading scores more later, but um, you know, in one matchup in any given game, there can be a bad matchup, there can be a misleading score, lots of things to where you don't want to just uh, adjust based on that solely. And the marketplace still is pretty efficient. You know, we, we talk about uh, the marketplace is really a pretty good thing to gauge things by. I really think that's probably our best indicator. So some of the other moves that I made here, I moved Duke up three and a half points. I kind of assume that's more than what most people did. I want to be aggressive in moving Duke. Um, I like Cutcliffe as a coach. I thought they were a disappointment last year, but I really think Cutcliffe can do a good job with this Duke team. I like their new quarterback, Chase Bryce. Uh, I moved them up three and a half points. South Alabama, I moved up three points. And the reason I moved them up three points primarily is I'd been too low on them relative to the market. Um, They probably should have won that last game against Tulane. South Alabama seems pretty improved here this season. Georgia Southern, I have no idea what to do with this team. So I moved them down four points. Um, We were talking before, too. Uh, 38 players, I think it was. 30-some players missed their last game. I have no idea how many of them are going to play this week. That's definitely something you're going to want to keep an eye on if you want to bet their game this week. I will tell you. I won't bet their game this week. I want to stay away from that situation, but four points might not be enough. Uh, That's what I did for now. And then I moved up Louisville two and a half points. I don't want to be low on this Louisville team. Uh, To me, you know, Satterfield's a real deal. I think he's a very good coach. Um, I'd rather bet on Louisville than I would bet against them. Um, Some of my other moves, uh, Iowa State down two points. I think others probably dropped them more than that. I know it's pretty popular to bash Matt Campbell right now. I still think he's a good coach especially as an underdog. So I won't hesitate to back Iowa State in other spots. And I do think that unders could be good with Iowa State throughout the season. They have good defense. Um, you know, Syracuse down three and a half points for me. I want to be low on them. So, uh, you know, Syracuse was, it was misleading that they were even in the game for a long time last week. So I think Syracuse, what they did on offense with 2.8 yards per play, I mean, North Carolina is not exactly, you know, the top defense in the country. So I think that was really disappointing from Syracuse. Yeah, I think that, you know, you and I are pretty much in the same boat with a lot of the moves that we had here. One thing that that was a little bit challenging to me, and, you know, I, I think that we we have a handful of these games here again this week, but this is something that pops up early on in the season. I just want to get your thoughts on it here before we move on from the power ratings discussion. 
You know, I moved West Virginia up a point. You know, I, I thought that they played very well in their game. I moved Pitt up a point uh, for their blowout win over Austin P. It's tough because, look, I mean, again, they are facing FCS schools. So there's definitely not a high expectation for a team on the other side. But what I like to look at in these FBS versus FCS games early on in the season, I want to see what the first half looks like. I want to know that when that FBS team was really trying, they went out there and did what they were supposed to do. And West Virginia and Pitt were two teams that did that. Now, West Virginia, of course, with what is second year head coach and Neil Brown, I don't think it's his third year yet, but that's a team that, you know, I wanted to be higher, higher on last year. They were kind of a disappointment. Maybe this year will be the one that they wind up playing a little bit better. So even though they played FCS teams and I don't power rate the FCS, so I didn't have, you know, my number to go off of relative to the close. I did want to give West Virginia and Pitt a little bit of love to move them up a little bit. Uh, you know, just because they did what they were supposed to do in their games. Yeah, I moved West Virginia up by one and Pitt up by half a point. I don't know their opponents very well in that first game, so I want to be cautious about moving too much. But West Virginia is a team that, like you, I don't want to be too low on. I think Brown's a good head coach, so I was more aggressive in moving them a point than I was uh, Pitt. Half a point. I still don't know what to think about Pitt. Um, You know, their offense really isn't very good. We know Pitt has a good defense. Uh, I we'll see what happens with Pitt West Virginia a team that I don't want to be too low on Pitt a team that I kind of want to be neutral on I feel like I um, I think Pitt is a team that doesn't have a really high ceiling but they're not bad either so I agree with you I think those are a little bit more challenging to move those uh, PRs uh, based on those FCS games because like you I also don't power rate the FCS I don't know those teams as well but like you said you want to adjust in some way, especially when teams are as dominant as those two teams were. So uh, those are a bit challenging to move, but I moved uh, one point and a half a point on those two. I will say, talking about Pitt, I mean, they, they're they laying a monster number against Syracuse here. 21 is much higher than I have it. Not to say I'm rushing to back Syracuse by any means, but that's a big old number here this weekend for a pit offense that isn't particularly strong. My line's actually six points off the market. I got that one 21 or uh, 15, excuse me. I'm not going to play it. And obviously I may have to make another adjustment to Syracuse here as we go forward. If they, you know, do wind up getting trucked in that game. But that is one of the things that you want to consider here early on is look, Syracuse looked as bad as they possibly could, but it is just one game. And, and maybe that is, something that will plague them as we go forward here, but that is a big number here uh, with Pitt in week three. So we'll see what happens uh, in that particular game. But that's probably a good segue here into one of our highlight videos for this edition of ATS.io Radio. We're going to be doing these for the ATS YouTube page with myself, host Adam Burke, and also professional handicapper and better Kyle Hunter. We want to talk to you about misleading box scores, the importance of, of box score study here, whether you have power ratings to adjust or not, it is very, very important for you to take a look back through the box scores after these games are completed. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, talking about why would you do misleading box scores and look at it, it's it's a far deeper dive than many of those who bet the CFB market are going to do. Most people don't take time to do this. You know, we, we know that's a fact. Now, people who are really serious about this and do power ratings, they they do or they should, 
Um, this is how we can find possible edges versus what people perceive to be true. So we look at trying to play against perceptions that might be wrong. I think this is probably about the best way we can do that because uh, maybe those perceptions aren't really the truth. There can be some pretty extreme cases of market perception being too high or too low based on misleading finals. I think that's especially true early in the season. You know, we get these big changes, overreactions, and maybe that team didn't play nearly as well as that final score looks like, or maybe they play better than the final score looks like. A uh, closer look at box scores to me is a great way to look at that. Also, it allows you to better see the strengths and weaknesses of a team. You know, when you go through and make your power ratings and you say, okay, the defensive line gets this many points, the linebackers get this many points. If they're getting killed every week, maybe you have to downgrade in that in that spot. It's a good way to look and see where you were right or wrong, where a team would be strong or weak. So to me, that's another reason I like doing it because you know, maybe they were playing against a weak offensive line and the defensive line didn't get any sacks. Maybe they didn't pressure the quarterback at all. Uh, it just shows you that maybe you were off about that team. You have to adjust things a bit. But like you said, I think I think that misleading scores is a great way to uh, dive deeper, to look for edges. And look, we, we've talked about this before. This is a marketplace where you have to look for extra edges. It's not going to be easy. You can't just do this uh, you know, and spend five minutes and you're going to be great at this. You know, I know everybody doesn't have uh, as much time if you don't do this for a living, but I still think that misleading box scores is, is a must, especially this time of the year, because, you know, like he said, like Adam said, even if you do um, don't do power ratings, this is really helpful because you find out more about a team than what you would have known otherwise and definitely knowledge is power. Well, and especially, too, you know, you think about a more traditional college football season, and, and there's nothing traditional about the college football season that we have here this year. But even still, with that, you see line movement early on in the week based off of these misleading box scores. You see it in the NFL. You see it in college football especially. And it's an important part of the process. Even if you're not creating power ratings, as Kyle just said, if you find a misleading box score, and in particular, if you find misleading box scores for both teams in a game, that line will move, and it will move right after it comes out, usually Sunday night or very early Monday morning. So we talked about market entry last week in, in one of our highlight videos, and even though we're on to the next week here, still a very important topic, and we encourage you to go check that video out over on our ATS YouTube page. But when it comes to market entry, you know, this year it's you know, you've got additional levels of hesitation with COVID and, and all that kind of thing. But if you do study these misleading box scores, you can get into the market before that number starts to move. You can get a decent number. You can take that position and decide if you want to hold it through the game on Saturday, or if you want to buy off of it, maybe you get a middle opportunity throughout the week, something like that. But that is a very important part of the process is to look back through and find out you know, why these things actually happen. We want to talk about the Fun Belt a little bit here on today's show, the Sun Belt Conference, where last week they had some very, very good results, including the win for Coastal Carolina here. And when you see an upset, box score study helps you go back and find out, was it a fluke or did that team pull the upset for a reason? And I know you've got some of those games to run through here uh, with the results from week two. Yeah, you know, really those Fun Belt Fun belt results were not a fluke. They were really the real deal. Oh, yeah. um, you know, Coastal Carolina, the team that you're repping today, um, last year was no fluke. I mean, they just beat they just beat Kansas. Um, I I think it's kind of fun to see a team like that 
that pulls an upset one year, and I know everybody then says, well, hey, revenge the next year, the better team. And the, Kansas wasn't the better team in that game. So it, it is what it is. Also, uh, Arkansas State, I thought, was a really good example because they're missing, what, eight, nine starters, something like that, last weekend. Blake Anderson, really good coach who went through a ton last year, was really happy for him and that Arkansas State team to pull off the win that they did. Arkansas State gained 6.9 yards per play without a bunch of their starters. Kansas State only 5.4 yards per play. So it was not a fluke win. Arkansas State was just the better team in that one. Uh, Louisiana and Iowa State was kind of one of those where Louisiana did get the special teams touchdowns. It looked like a pretty even game on the box scores. But, I mean, uh, Iowa State's defense is good, and Louisiana didn't move the ball very much. But Louisiana's defense against Iowa State was really impressive to me. Uh, Brock Purdy had a really bad game there. I know he doesn't have that much talent around him, but Purdy is a good quarterback. I was pretty impressed there with that Louisiana team. As far as the other ones, I've got a couple others here. Um, South Bama, you know, while we're talking about um, that conference, South Bama, 6.0 yards per play to 5.6 yards per play for Tulane. Tulane wins despite being one for 11 on third down. So uh, the Green Wave, pretty pretty uh, surprising win and an impressive showing by South Bama there to where South Bama at this point is showing that they're better than we thought they were. You know, I feel like this is enough to tell us that the first game, you know, maybe it was just Southern Miss. But last game, it's showing that uh, South Bama is better than what they thought we were. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is that, you know, then you wind up also having the opportunity to adjust your power ratings based on what you're seeing with these scores. Like I said, are these performances legit? Are they not legit? And, and in a lot of cases here this week, the upset teams were legit. We didn't see, you know, the big minus five turnover games or anything crazy like that. And you do get those. And some team inevitably at some point this season will lose a game. They shouldn't because they're minus four in turnovers and everyone will throw that team away. Everyone will get, you know, uh, get a lot of preconceived notions about that team. And you may still find value three, four, five weeks later because people still clutch pearls about that game that that team lost that they shouldn't have lost. Well, there's usually a reason why those things happen. And being able to look through the box scores is something that certainly does help you out in that regard. And, you know, even last week, you know, we, we highlight the Sun Belt, but there were also some ACC teams or some bigger names that, you know, either had good or bad performances that will leak into the betting markets here, not just for this week, but probably in future weeks too. Absolutely. Georgia Tech, uh, we mentioned them a little bit already, but Georgia Tech should have beaten Florida State by more than they did. Georgia Tech 5.8 yards per play to Florida State 3.8 yards per play. I have to say, first of all, Florida State with 3.8 yards per play against Georgia Tech defense is really disappointing. Look, um, Florida State's offensive line is a mess. Uh, Blackman's not the answer at quarterback. Um, that's a team that I don't want to bet anytime soon. Georgia Tech, nice showing. Uh, new quarterback there. Uh, this is a system that I don't think Georgia Tech knows that well yet, but it is the second year of a system. You would think that they would move up a decent amount. So I think that was a nice showing for them. I will ask you, let me let me interrupt for a second here, because here's the question. Is Jeff Collins doing work with this Georgia Tech defense? I mean, we know he's a great defensive coordinator, a longtime SEC defensive coordinator, you know, which is about the highest level you can be at as a coordinator. Is that him or is that Florida State's offense? And, you know, are you able to tell that from the box score study? 
I think it's probably more about the Florida State offense, but it is only one game. So we have to see. Uh, I think that's one of those. I think it's Florida State, but we're going to see see what happens. Obviously, it's some of both. But Georgia Tech will be better on defense. I just don't think they're as good as what they looked last week because Florida State really looked like a mess to me, especially after the beginning of the game where I know a couple people on my Twitter uh, timeline were like, oh, Florida State, they look like they're back. You know it's a, you know how that, that looks later in the game. It's kind of like that old takes exposed. You know, At the end of the game, you're going, Florida State does not look like they're back at all. And to me, I think Florida State is is the bigger issue there. But Georgia Tech is improving on defense. So it could be some of both there. Duke, 5.0 yards per play to Notre Dame, 6.0. I think Duke looked pretty good in that game. Duke, uh, very um, competitive throughout the game. Big upgrade at quarterback. Better looking offense. I mean, look, last year, Duke played a home game against Notre Dame and got blown off the field. I mean, they were beaten so badly. They had no chance, couldn't do anything on offense. They look much better in this one. Maybe Notre Dame looked past them a little bit, but uh, you wouldn't think that that would explain everything here. So uh, Duke was pretty impressive in holding that game close. I did want to say one that really stood out to me, too, was Houston Baptist against Texas Tech. Houston Baptist with 8.0 yards per play to Texas Tech's 6.8. Yikes for Texas Tech on that one. I mean, Houston Baptist lost badly to North Texas the previous week. Texas Tech really played poorly in that one. And that concerns me quite a bit about that Texas Tech defense. Now, you talk about Duke getting 5.0 yards per play, and and some people out there may say, well, that's not impressive. That's not very good. You got to put that into two levels of context. The first is they were playing Notre Dame, a very good team. You've got Chase Bryce in his first start. We know David Cutcliffe is a very good head coach, but, you know, Chase Bryce, and I was watching some of that game, and, and the announcers were kind of, talking about, you know, when they had a pregame discussion with Bryce and he was sort of like, look, it's kind of like starting all over. You know, you go to a new program. Yeah, you're familiar with ACC play having been at Clemson, but he's like, it's, you know, it's kind of like starting all over. So you would expect some growing pains. And the fact that they didn't have a ton of them, I think is a pretty good feather in their caps going forward. Also, not sure how many people know this, but Duke last year, 125th in the country in yards per play. 4.53, that's below San Diego State, below Georgia Tech, who we talked about already, below Vanderbilt and Rice and Bowling Green, and just a little bit better than Rutgers. So, yeah, maybe 5.0 yards per play doesn't sound great, but you know what? It's better than what they did last year against a pretty good Notre Dame team. And again, that's 4.5 yards per play last year against their entire schedule. So some teams that were great, some teams that weren't very good, So again, you got to put these things in the proper context to where, yeah, I agree with you. I think that is a step in the right direction for the Duke Blue Devils. And it gets why box score study helps you out so much to see how they move the ball. What was effective for them? You know, were they good? You can even go back through the play-by-play if you want and see if it was a second-half adjustment, something like that. This stuff is very, very important, especially as you said, when we're trying as hard as we possibly can to get an edge anywhere we can find one. Absolutely. I think another point is that sometimes teams get a lot of first downs by penalty. You know, if there are too many penalties on the opposition, that's also something to keep an eye on. That can be a bit of a fluke. We know that, you know, you're not going to constantly get six or eight first downs based on pass interference or something like that. So if it was that way, I'd be a bit more cautious about upgrading their offense because you're not going to get that every single week. And like you said, with Duke, 
you know, Rutgers, Vanderbilt, Bowling Green, when you're talking about teams like that, you know you're in a pretty low spot offensively. So to do that against Notre Dame, who will have a good defense, pretty impressive showing for them. And and uh, I did want to mention Louisville pretty quick. Louisville, 6.8 yards per play on what is really a pretty good Western Kentucky defense in the rain as well. I think Louisville's offense is going to be really tough to stop this season. And I already mentioned Syracuse with 2.8 yards per play against UNC. Uh, you know, Babers is an offensive guy. That's it's hard to believe they could only get that much. But I think there were some pretty good um, misleading scores here that give us some examples for this week. And I think that it's important that we talked about this. I'm glad we highlighted this because if you're not doing this already, you really need to be. This is really something that's uh, vitally important. And, and it's easy. You know, it's not like trying to put together power ratings. It's, it's going back through the box scores. It's, you know, realizing what happened over the over the course of a game and and seeing if there is something that you can pick up on and, and again like you said you know a lot of people out there have nine to fives they've got kids and families and all that they're not doing this for a living you know like you and I are but box score study is just such an easy way I mean I open five tabs I hit team stats I go back through each one of them real quickly take a look through at what happened again for my purposes it's to adjust my power ratings but you know, again, it's something that I think everybody can very easily do. And stats are so accessible nowadays, too, that you know, there's really no excuse for not doing some sort of box score or, you know, some sort of statistical study. It's true. This is much easier to do than what it was in the past. Um, and like you said, you can look at many of these quickly. You know, you get good at this. This doesn't take very long. It's even easier this year with less teams, obviously. So, you know, if you want to work into doing something like this, this is kind of a good year to do it. Well, definitely make sure you check out all of our videos for our highlight topics here on ATS.io Radio and just our general stuff. Brian Blessing with a U.S. Open video out for us already. We'll have some more videos with Brian Blessing as we go throughout the week here as well over on that ATS YouTube page. And, of course, we encourage you to make sure that you're listening to the entire podcast here of ATS.io Radio. So with that, Kyle, let's spend a couple of minutes here talking really quickly about something else before we get into another one of these highlight videos. And that is, we talked about home field advantage last week, and we talked about the impact that it could have. We saw some games with fans. We saw some games that didn't have them. The Jaguars were the only team with fans in the NFL here uh, in week one. Any additional clarity as far as home field advantage goes, or are you still just kind of, you know, for right now, going off of the discussion that we had last week? Yeah, I don't I don't have much more clarity on that. The Jaguars had one of the misleading games last week, so you don't want to read too much into that one either. But I, I think that, you know, right now I'm still going with thinking that one to one and a half points for home field advantage is about right. I know some people just have a set number that they're using for everyone, you know, say one point for home field advantage this year. I think that could be a little bit dangerous because there are very different circumstances from one team to the next. So um, I think that, you know, half, Half of what it was, probably about the least you should go with, half of last year's HFA, and then two-thirds, probably about the most you should go to. So home field advantage is not worth as much this year as it was last year. We know that. I don't think we've had enough games to really know exactly what kind of difference it's made so far. 
I do think that, you know, we can just infer that it's going to be lower and we should be right. And we already knew ahead of time that home field advantage was getting smaller and smaller in both college football and the NFL in recent seasons to where road teams had been doing pretty well against the spread. So I think that you probably would rather go a little bit low on home field advantage than you would too high. Last thing I'll ask you about then here before we do another highlight video uh, for a preview of Miami, Florida and Louisville Market entry. We talked about that a lot last week as well. Do you feel any more confident jumping into these games early on in the week, or are you still kind of waiting for uh, you know a lot of the news to come out and a lot of the dust to settle? Still going to be a little slower here to um, enter the market. I think totals, I, I will consider playing a couple early in the week, especially if they're far off of my number. Sides, I'm really scared to do that because you know, what if we see something like Georgia Southern had last week and you feel like you, you've placed a bet, you, you've lost before it started. I mean, you know, if you lay a big number with a team and then everybody's sitting out, um, I hate to be in that position, you know, as as a handicapper um, and as someone who sells plays, you know, if if I release that play and then that happens, I'm going to have a lot of people saying, what are we doing? What do we do now? And it's going to be hard to know what to say in a spot like that. So I'm going to be cautious on market entry still. And I think you probably, in general, our listeners should be careful as as far as that too, because we still don't really know what to make of this season yet. So uh, I think waiting a little bit longer than normal is still a good idea. Well, we got a spotlight game and a highlight video for you here for week three major matchup in the ACC. I don't think it's a stretch to say this is clearly the best game of the week here in college football that's Miami Florida and Louisville game number 115 116 by rotation number Louisville two and a half point favorite right now out there pretty much market wide globally and here in the legal U.S. market total on this game 59 and a half or 60 depending on where you look and look both of these teams to some degree very impressive last week Miami looked a lot better with Derek King at quarterback as we kind of expected Louisville, sort of a continuation of what they did last year in their win over Western Kentucky. What's kind of your starting point here for this handicap, Kyle? Well, to start out, like we said, you know, upgrading Miami this week was pretty important. I mean, you had to upgrade Miami based on what they did last week. But at the same time, you know, you got to be careful about Miami because they played UAB. And we love UAB, Bill Clark, a great coach. But they don't have the same level of talent that Miami has. And now Miami's going to play an ACC team that has a lot more talent. And Louisville is a very well-coached team as well. I think Louisville was pretty impressive in that win last weekend. I know that you could look at the final score and say, well, they didn't beat Western Kentucky by that much. They were ahead by more. They definitely were very conservative in the second half of that game. Louisville played well. I think it's important to look at, you know, kind of the game state, see where they were actually, what they were doing in a certain time. Louisville also finished the game on, you know, five-yard line, three-yard line, something like that, and kind of intentionally didn't score at the end of that game. So uh, the Cardinals are really not very good defensively. And I think the question still is, though, is Miami good defensively? Because maybe they just had bigger guys, stronger guys, more athletes than UAB did. In this game, uh, a couple interesting notes. I wanted to note from last year, if you look at expected turnover margin compared to what they actually finished with, um, Louisville finished negative 4.8 in their expected turnover margin to what they actually had. So they had some bad breaks last year. 
Miami finished plus 9.7, which was the sixth luckiest in the country. So uh, Miami had some really good breaks last year. And let's be honest, they weren't very good last year. So what would they have been without those uh, good bounces? Um, I think I want to be cautious to buy totally into Miami right away. And I definitely would lean toward Louisville here, but this one's right at my line. So I don't have a big line advantage here on Louisville, but I would prefer to play that side. I do think the total might be a bit too low in this game. I lean to the over here. I think Louisville moves the ball well here. I don't think Miami can stop them from running it. Cunningham's a really good player. The question is, you know, Miami, their linebackers are usually the strength of their defense. They lost a lot at linebacker from last year. I think they're really a question mark. I trust Louisville's coaching more than Miami's coaching here. So if I'm going to play a side, I'm taking Louisville in this one. Total-wise, um, the over is a consideration for me. This is one that I might bet. So, uh, you know, I'm going to look at this one a little bit closer. But here early in the week, I lean toward Louisville minus the points and the over in this one. Well, and that's one of the things is that, you know, Louisville last week, as you mentioned, you know, they got out to that halftime lead and then sort of put it in cruise control a little bit. Only wound up running 72 plays in that game. And I have to think that they'll probably try to push the tempo a little bit more here against Miami. Miami ran 79 plays last week with Rhett Lashley, the new offensive coordinator. And we expected Miami to be a little bit faster from a tempo standpoint here for this season. There are a couple of interesting things about this game, I think, that really stand out. Um, first, by the way, my line is pick them on this game. So maybe you could argue line value on Miami, but I'm not taking the Hurricanes here. It's Louisville or nothing for me for two reasons. The first is, as I just said, Miami with a new offensive coordinator in Rhett Lashley. Last week, you can get by. You have the athletic advantage. You had you know, a guy in Derek King who kind of improvised a little bit. Miami had 337 yards on the ground, due in large part to King's legs and what he was able to do. You don't have that same athletic advantage, those same mismatches against Louisville, as you mentioned. The other thing is that Louisville can throw the football. Mikhail Cunningham is a very, very good quarterback. Scott Satterfield has done a good job with him. Louisville has excellent skill position talent at wide receiver. They've recruited very well over the last few years, despite some of the transition and some of the turnover. I think Louisville has the more balanced offense in this game. Probably the more trustworthy defense, as you said, the more trustworthy coaching staff. And also, too, for Miami, I mean, look, UAB, as we said, a very good team, a very well-coached team, lots of returning production. I know that's something a lot of people like to play on early on in the season here. But they had that speed advantage. They had those advantages in the trenches where they were stronger and bigger and highly touted and all of that. What happens this week when you get a game against a team that is more on your level and quite possibly a little bit over your level? Yeah, you could make the same argument for Louisville having just played Western Kentucky, but you know, Louisville, when they had to, they put that game away. And for Miami, it felt like it was kind of a gradual putting away of that game against UAB. So I do like Louisville here. I think they're the more trustworthy team. And I want to see where this number ends up going. Because like I said, I've got it pick them. It's right on your number. Does this one move a whole lot? Does it get to three? Do we see Miami get that love with De'Ara King? And does this line come down a little bit? That's sort of what I want to see here as this week progresses before I decide if I fully want to jump in on anything for this one. 
Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot that we'll learn about this game, especially about Miami. I think that we know a little bit more about Louisville than we do about Miami. And that's part of the reason I lean Louisville in this one, too, is you don't really like the unknown. Miami could be a really good team. I don't think we know that yet. I think we know that Louisville is going to be a, a very quality team this season. So I'd rather bet the known than the unknown. And at the same time, like I said, I do like the over in this game. I think with Lashley um, making this offense go quicker, Louisville, uh, not a great defense by any means, a very good offense, very efficient. So um, I think this number is a few points too low on the over. So this will be one I consider. And like I said, even though I don't really have line value in Louisville, um, my PRs are not going to be the main reason I bet a lot of sides this season. We've talked about how they may not be quite as important this year as a lot of other seasons. Louisville is the known commodity to me, and I'd rather bet the known than the unknown. So I lean Louisville and the over here. Not to take this video too long here, but I just want to touch on something real quickly that, you know, look, it is mid-September. The weather's kind of changing a little bit. It's not nearly as bad as it will be when we get to November and December. But, you know, weather, obviously a big factor in totals handicapping. So you said that you kind of like the over a little bit in this game. Are you waiting for, you know, maybe a more concrete weather forecast to materialize? Or are you just, you know, sort of waiting to dig a little bit more into these two teams? Yeah, I just want to dig in a little bit more to these two teams, to be honest. You know, early in the season, I also find it a little harder to bet the opener because I don't know as much about these teams. You know, I want to be honest and say, you know, I don't feel like I already know, hey, this is exactly what this team is. This is exactly what the other team is. Uh, If I'm far enough off from the number, I will bet it. I will say I made this game 62 and a half for the total. So I'm not way off the number. This is not something where I'm like, I have to bet it right now. This is it. Um if if I was that far off, I'd go ahead and bet the game. But, you know, I want to look at these two teams a little bit more. And I do look at an early forecast. I know when you're four or five days away from a game, it could be wrong. I mean, heck, they can be wrong from the night before. But, you know, you at least want to get an idea. And, and this one, you know, I'm not far enough off from the number where I just want to fire on it before I look more closely. So I want to look a little bit more in depth about this game, but I do think based on what these two teams are, that the offenses could have the advantage in this game. Well, this is one of the highlight video breakdowns here from ATS.io radio with host Adam Burke and also professional handicapper and better Kyle Hunter. Make sure you check out all of the editions of ATS.io Radio, and you can subscribe pretty much anywhere out there. iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We are all over the place, so make sure you check out the full broadcasts here, along with our highlight videos for ATS.io Radio. Kyle, one game I wanted to touch on with you here, and, and neither one of us have a strong opinion on this game, but I do think it's a really interesting concept and something that we will see as we go forward here, this matchup between Houston and Baylor. Now, Houston was supposed to play Memphis, I believe, on Friday night, but Memphis, with some COVID outbreaks here, uh, allegedly having a party bus after their win and, you know, doing probably what college kids do, and one of the reasons why a lot of us were sort of wondering if this college football season would even come to fruition but I think this is interesting, and, and I do some UFC writing uh, for you know ATS.io as well as uh, the old site that I still do some writing for, bangthebook.com. And it's always interesting to me when you get these fighter changes. Somebody pulls out because of an injury or something like that. You've been prepping and you've been planning for a certain type of opponent, and then it all changes in, in an instant, and you wind up now with a different matchup. So 
I think that's a really interesting angle for this Houston and Baylor game coming up and one that uh, I'm sure we're not done seeing here for this college football season. Yeah, I wasn't sure where you're going to go there for a minute when you brought up the, the UFC and how it applied to this one. But yeah, I agree with you. It, it does kind of change things as far as, you know, you were prepping for a certain opponent. Um, what is Houston this year, though? I don't I don't think we really know what Houston is. To me, one of the hardest teams in the country to rate this season. They had a lot of guys redshirt last year, return a bunch of talent. I think Houston's defense will improve quite a bit against the pass with uh, a lot of depth there in the secondary. I still look for them to be weak against the run. Look, Clayton Toon isn't great, but he isn't bad either. So I think he's somewhere in the middle. I think the offensive line is the big question mark for them. And with Baylor, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns with Baylor, too. I mean, who can really know what we're going to get from Baylor? Uh, Baylor plus seven versus their expected TO margin last year. So a lot of fortunate bounces last year. I'm also concerned about Baylor switching to a four-man front on defense. You know, that's what they want to do long-term, so I understand wanting to go ahead and put it in right away. But their defensive line is clearly their biggest weakness on defense this year. So, you know, switching to a four-man front could make it a little bit difficult. I think the Baylor offensive line is the strength of the team. Brewer is a good quarterback. You know, to me, the defense is a lot worse than it was last year. The offense will probably be fairly close to what they were last year. I don't know what to do betting this game, to be honest. So, um, you know, this is one of those games that I'd rather watch and find out something about these two teams, see if there's something that we didn't know already or not, because I don't want to try to be a hero and bet this game right away because I don't really know what I'm going to get from either team. Something I think is really interesting for the Baylor side, you know, they do bring back Charlie Brewer, but also brand new coaching staff. Dave Aranda, now the head coach. And what's interesting to me is offensive coordinator Larry Fedora, because What Matt Rule did here with this Baylor program was almost turn them into a smash mouth brand of football in the Big 12, which is not easy to do. And he had great success doing it, sort of, you know, fixing and and rebuilding the culture of that program after all the Art Bryles fallout and, and the sexual assault and all of that. They became a much different kind of team. Now they're going to switch into another different kind of team with an offensive coordinator and a guy like Larry Fedora, who, you know, is going to want to spread it out, going to want to throw the football around. You wonder, you know, how they're built to have a schematic change like this, taking on a Houston team that, you know, look, Dana Holgerson had kind of a weird first year. Derek King, you know, sort of bowed out of the season so that he could transfer and, you know, all that. It feels like there's more continuity, though, for the Houston side. And continuity is something I think is very important in these early season handicaps. So not seeing a market-wide number on this game as of yet. Uh, I've got this one, um, Baylor minus eight. So we'll see what the market-wide number kind of winds up looking like. But I thought that, you know, it was just kind of an interesting game to touch on for a variety of different reasons. Not that either one of us would have a concrete opinion on it. I have Baylor minus seven in this one, and I, I immediately said, I, I don't know what to do with this game. So really, I want to see what we should adjust these two teams to be for the next game. But I agree with you. This is an interesting spot in that they weren't even planning to play this team. So uh, I don't really know what we'll get from this game. Also, massive recruiting implications here uh, with Baylor, of course, in Waco and Houston. You know, there's a there are a lot of wars for recruits down there uh, in the state of Texas. So, you know, this is a very big game from a recruiting standpoint. And, you know, recruiting going to be a lot different here this year than it has been in past years for obvious reasons. So we'll kind of see how that plays out with this Houston and Baylor game. But before we transition over to the NFL here, we got another highlight game breakdown. And this is a game where I think you and I both have a little bit stronger of an opinion on this one. 
This is game 133-134, a noon Eastern time kickoff coming up on Saturday between Navy and Tulane. Tulane, eight-point favorite. Seeing some eight-and-a-halves out there in the market as well. Total of 49 or 49-and-a-half for this one. I'll let you have the floor first, but I think both of us kind of have a similar mindset on this game. Yeah, I'm going to start with the total because I think that's kind of interesting. I believe this total is set pretty low considering, you know, we know both of these two teams are kind of option offenses, but they do it differently. You know, Tulane runs the spread option. It's not the same as Army and Air Force and and Navy and those type of teams. So this is not one of those where the military schools play against each other. They pretty much stop each other easily, you know, and you just bet the under every single year. I don't think that applies here. Last year's final between these two teams was 41 to 38. The year before was 29 to 28. So we've had points in these games in the past. I will say, I'm not saying I love the over in this game. You know, Navy couldn't even move the ball against BYU. But I do think that it, I'd be hesitant about just betting this one down too low on the under. So both teams run the option not the same way, so they don't practice it every single day or get to go against what they see um, here from the other offense. To me, this is a really big reaction from Navy's game one. Look, we understand, both of us understand, that you have to react in some way from losing that way. However, you could argue that BYU is just a pretty good team, and I think they probably are a good team. Navy didn't even hit before um, that first week, and I know Niamatololo talked about that, and and you could tell. I mean, their defense was really bad in that game. Tulane, you know, maybe they're getting a bit too much credit for beating South Alabama last week in a game that they really should have lost. And I know Tulane has a different offense this year as well with Justin McMillan moving on. I don't really think Tulane is, is set to be a great team. At the same time, you know, what are they laying? You said eight and a half points is what, what you're seeing yeah. pretty much now. Eight and a half. My line's four and a half in this one. I don't really want to bet Navy, but I might have to bet Navy. This is one of those where I'm going to see what happens throughout the week because I don't see that this number is going to go down quickly or anything. I mean, I can't think most people are going to be too excited to bet Navy. And that's where maybe we wait for a better market entry place. Maybe we see nine and a half or 10 points in this game. I don't think it's out of the question, you know, because not many people are going to want to bet Navy. You know, people who don't make PRs, uh, people who aren't professionals here, they're not going to want to bet Navy after what they saw in that first game. So uh, I think that's important to remember as well. I think that both of these teams are a bit of an unknown. Like I said, Tulane has different players on offense. I think Tulane's better on defense than what they were last year. Their defensive line was disappointing. But, you know, Tulane, I don't know that they'll be quite as good on offense. They have a good offensive coordinator. Navy's a better team than what they showed in that first game. And you know that uh, with a really good coaching staff, they're really going to work on them from that first game to this game. So I'd be really hesitant to lay the points in this game. The only way I could play this one is Navy plus the points. Yeah, I like Navy in this spot too. My line, Tulane minus four. So both of us, you know, quite a bit uh, lower than the market on this one, getting numbers like six and seven in the equation. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do like Navy in this spot. And you know, like you said, I mean, this feels like a massive overreaction, especially because it's also going to be put into the context of look what Army is doing. Look what the other service academy is doing with two dominant blowout wins over Middle Tennessee and Louisiana Monroe. And whether it's fair or not, people are going to compare that to what Navy did in their first game where BYU is a much better team than both MTSU and ULM. Navy, like you said, they weren't hitting. You know, they had this very strange lead up to the season that didn't work out for them. 
Well, now they've got basically two full weeks of practice. Tulane, they just played last weekend. So I don't know if there's any kind of hangover. Maybe that helps them being a little bit crisper. I don't really know. But what I do know is that a very good head coach in Ken Niamatololo has had two weeks to practice with his team, get ready for this game, figure out who the heir apparent is to Malcolm Perry. This line's just too big to me. And also, you look at this total of 49, and I know you just kind of made something of a case for looking at the over based on the last two years. But when I think Navy games, I think limited numbers of possessions. Tulane likes to run the football a lot too, as you just talked about. There's maybe, what, 14 combined possessions in this game, something like that. And I'm getting a team plus eight in a game with a relatively low by college football standards total. I'm going to have to play Navy here. I'm not in a rush to do it because I want to see if I can get as many points possible out of this line. But I think this line is too high. I think this is a classic case of an overreaction. And again, I think from a game flow standpoint, as long as Navy's moving the football, they shorten the game. And in that situation, the more points, the better. So I do like Navy here uh, in this game coming up on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, as far as what the market's going to do in this one, I guess I'll ask you, what what do you think this line will get to? And do you think this might be one of those spots where I kind of see this line maybe going up a bit, and then if it gets to 10, it gets bought back because somebody's going to take Navy if this gets up to 10. So I think you want to watch this one pretty closely throughout the week because it could be one that inches up, gets to 9.5 or 10, and then we see it drop pretty hard. What do you think? Yeah, the only thing that's concerning to me is that it is going up a little bit early in the week, which suggests that somebody's set of power ratings out there does have this number uh, quite a bit higher than I do. But I do think that there will be buyback on this number because, again, you know, like we just talked about, this feels like a clear-cut overreaction. You know, I don't know what this look-ahead line would have been coming into the season or anything like that. What I can tell you is before I adjusted Navy down after their week one showing, I probably would have had them a slight favorite here, maybe minus one on the road at Tulane. So, you know, I mean, if you factor traditional home field advantage in, maybe Tulane's minus two, something like that. But in this COVID climate, you know, this one's probably Navy minus one or a pick em for me before I make a Navy adjustment. So I, I think that this line probably ultimately comes down as the week goes along. But right now, seeing it go up a little bit has caught my attention. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think this line would have probably been about pick'em. So, I mean, that's a pretty big change from pick'em to eight and a half. Like you said, you go through three, four, six, seven, eight even is a fairly important number. So, I mean, these are these are numbers that could hit pretty often. And like you said, with a low total to start with, less possessions, it's quite a few points. Yeah, it definitely is. So we got a consensus opinion here. It looks like both of us liking the Navy side here in this Navy versus Tulane game. And as Kyle said, they're a very interesting total for us to follow throughout the week as well. All right, so uh, I guess with that, we'll transition over to the NFL side of things here and talk about the pros for a few minutes. We're going to talk about this Bengals and Browns game on Thursday here for a highlight video in a couple of minutes. But we spent a lot of time talking earlier in the show, Kyle, about misleading final scores from week two of the college football season We had a handful and some very good examples here in the NFL where week one to week two is already the biggest overreaction week of the year. 
Right. I think the misleading scores here in the NFL might even be better examples than college football this week, which usually you find more and, and better examples in college football. Obviously, with less games in college football, there's not quite as uh, many to pick from. But Seattle wins 38-25 to over Atlanta. The Falcons with 28 first down, Seattle with 22, both 6.6 yards per play. Atlanta was minus, tur- minus two in turnovers. Russell Wilson, my goodness, 31 for 35. How does he not have an MVP yet? I mean, it's kind of hard to believe as good as Russell Wilson is. Seattle's offense is great, but the defense doesn't look very good to me. I think Seattle will give up quite a few points this year. Seattle might be an over team, especially if they're going to kind of let Russell Wilson uh, throw the ball around a little bit more. So, you know, I think this is a spot where Seattle could look to be a good over team. I'd be careful about backing them laying a bunch of points because I think their defense is pretty weak. But I have to say the best example of the week, either in college football or NFL, the Jaguars 27 and the Colts 20. The Colts punted the ball zero times in that game. They outgained the Jaguars 445 to 241. And they lose by seven points. One for three on fourth down and two turnovers for the Colts. None for the Jaguars. 80 penalty yards to 61 for the Jags. Um, You know, this is a pretty classic example of a misleading final score. Yeah, it really is. I mean, look, credit to Jacksonville and credit to the mustachioed man Gardner Minshew, who was 19 of 20 in that game, which, you know, very, very efficient showing for him. The Colts defense could have played a little bit better, but again, they gave up 241 yards. If you're going to give up 241 yards, you're probably going to win more often than not in the NFL, especially with such a big offensive showing, but it didn't happen. And and that's the thing. And, you know, I'm off to a 3-0-1 start in the Circa and and knock on wood. Hopefully I get the Broncos tonight. But one of the things that I kind of looked at was I wanted teams in week one that were going to take care of the football. I, I wanted to try and isolate the teams and turnovers are very, very hard to predict, but I want to try and find the teams that weren't going to hurt themselves. Well, the Colts hurt themselves twice and they lost the game because of it. So that's something you got to win the turnover battle in the NFL. I mean, there's only so long you can hold down these NFL offenses. It's a much different game than college. And again, looking at the box scores, very, very important to see, you know, why things happen the way that they did. And, you know, with that, interestingly enough, uh, Minnesota and Indianapolis play this week and Minnesota had almost eight yards per play against Green Bay in week one, but they gave up 43 points and lost the game by nine. So you've got two teams that you could argue had some misleading box scores last week going head to head. And it's always fun to see where the market goes with games like that. Yeah, it is. I think you could make an argument that Minnesota benefited from being behind in that game. And then the Packers backed off, you know, the box score can almost be misleading some of the time too. So you get, you have to be careful about exactly how that game played out. The Packers had the lead, sat back in that prevent defense, which can, you know, you can get a lot of yards on something like that. So I think the Vikings offense looked pretty good, but maybe not quite as good as what their yards per play would look. Uh, I did want to mention the Washington football team, 27, the Eagles 17. Washington gains 3.4 yards per play and they win. That's hard to do. The Eagles were minus three in turnover margin and one for three on fourth down. Carson Wentz was sacked eight times. Uh, You're not going to win many games when your quarterback's getting sacked eight times. Obviously, their offensive line's a major problem. But I do have to say, under betters in this game, really bad loss. 3.4 yards per play and 4.0 yards per play, and you lose an under. Uh, That would have been a really tough one to take. The other one I wanted to mention, which – I think was a bit misleading as far as the total. The Cowboys, the Rams, the Rams win 20 to 17. 
Uh, 802 yards, just 37 points. So I'd be careful about betting unders with those teams based on that because they found ways not to to not score in that game. So we had several pretty good examples of misleading games there in the NFL in week one. Yeah, we definitely did. And interestingly enough, you, you mentioned the Rams, and that's a total that's come down a little bit here for their game against the Eagles. Uh, the first game on the board by rotation number on Sunday, that total has dropped a little bit to 46 seeing some 45 and a half now showing up as well. So maybe people saying, oh, you know, the Rams did such a good job holding down the Cowboys, but the Cowboys just didn't have some good play calls in the red zone or in some of their third down situations, kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit. But that being said, the Eagles, their offensive line is a major problem and a ton of injuries. So, you know, maybe sort of uh, expecting Aaron Donald to eat quite a bit there uh, next week in that game at Philadelphia. We got a highlight video breakdown for you here coming up of the Thursday night football game between the Bengals and the Browns. Kyle, a Bengals fan, Adam, a reluctant Browns fan after their disastrous showing uh, in week one, but really interesting handicap here. Totals come down on this game as well, sitting 44 and a half or 44 Browns minus six. And I don't know where you're going to go with your breakdown of the game. I feel like we're both going to talk about and focus on the same thing. But Browns minus six here on Thursday night. What do you think? Well, first of all, I want to say the Bengals with a really tough way to lose that game in week one. You, you couldn't lose it much more difficult way. The Browns were blown out in, in week one. But which way would you rather lose? I mean, because you could argue either side of this. You could say the Bengals losing close. They played pretty well. You know, I don't know how good the Chargers are, but they're a decent team. The Browns were blown out by a really good team in the Ravens. But maybe getting blown out could be a good thing for the Browns here, kind of a wake-up call where the Bengals, it was a tough way to lose. So you could argue this either way, certainly. I will say, I think Burrow played really well for no preseason and first game as a pro. You know, um, as a Bengals fan, I've seen a lot of really bad quarterbacks over the years. I, you know, I could date myself and say, you know, David Klingler, Keeley Smith, you know, many, many really bad quarterbacks over the years. And then they had a good one in Carson Palmer before he got hurt. You know, really, the Bengals have, have had some pretty poor quarterbacks, and I think Andy Dalton was kind of a you know, middle of the road or a little bit worse quarterback, but the offensive line has been a major problem for the Bengals. It still is a major problem, and I'm concerned about that, especially against the Browns' pass rush. You know, the Browns can rush the passer. The Bengals were the worst defense against the run last year. DJ Reader should help that some. I know he left the game against the Chargers uh, hopefully nothing serious in that one. His status is really important in this game since the Browns do have a strong running attack. I think that's an injury to watch for sure. Um, what is Baker Mayfield? Do we know what he is at this point? You know, I think Mayfield is still a bit of an unknown. And this far into his career, uh, usually we would have figured out somebody. I know that some people thought Mayfield was really good when he first came in, and then other people thought he's overrated. It's probably lies somewhere in the middle of what that is, but but I think that he takes a little bit too many risks with the football. You know, he's a little bit too careless with the football. I don't see him as a, as a great quarterback. I don't know that he's as bad as some people think either. So somewhere in the middle. But I, I do have to say, I think this line might come down a bit. Um, I'm really in no big rush to back the Bengals. I am a Bengals fan, definitely. So I hope the Bengals win this game. I'll say that right from the top. But the Browns running attack and pass rush. I think is a matchup advantage for them in this one. So uh, the Bengals offense didn't do much against the Chargers until that last drive. I know Burrow said after the game, you know, it was 
the first time he felt like he was kind of, you know, things were going smoothly and they were in, uh, you know, the way that they want to play. They were moving, clicking down the field. Things were going good. Um, are they going to be able to be better on offense in this game? The Browns, I don't think we're quite as bad as that final score would look against the Ravens. I mean, the Ravens are a really good team and you could argue that the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. Certainly, you know, they have to be power rated first or second. So, you know, be careful about, you know, thinking the Browns are terrible just from one game. I would lean to the Browns in this game. So I'm curious to see what you say. I probably won't bet this game. Uh, what's the current total showing on this one right now? Uh, 44 and a half. 44 and a half, and it opened higher than that, right? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so the Bengals game being played the way that it was, the Bengals defense being better, they played pretty slowly, I think is dictating that total moving down. Um, I would have leaned to the under, but I don't love the under, under 45. I think in this one, I, I would lean to the Browns. If it gets too much slower, I might consider betting the Browns because, you know, I'm not afraid to go against my team if I feel like there's value. But curious what your thoughts are on this one. Yeah, I'm even starting to see 44 pop as we're recording this here. I'm glad you didn't steal my thunder because something that's going to be talked about a lot and something I think could have an impact on the line for this game, although we haven't seen it yet, this is an awful spot for Cincinnati. You know, they they did lose that game in devastating fashion, but moreover than that, you've got a first-year quarterback, a second-year head coach, and you've got a short week to prep for a brand-new Browns offense that you haven't really seen with Kevin Stefanski, and you've got the travel. And furthermore, it's probably going to be a bus trip up I-71. It's probably not going to be a short flight or anything like that. A lot of teams, you know, kind of trying to limit their exposure. Uh, You know, I saw things about teams showing up later than usual to the stadium. I saw things about teams traveling on a different day, stuff like that. So for the Bengals here, you don't get preseason. You've got limited OTAs. You've got Joe Burrow. And you got to go on the road and play on Thursday night against the Browns team that got embarrassed last week. This is a horrendous spot for Cincinnati. Now, does Cleveland take advantage? It's a fair question. And also for Cleveland, too, it's not great that they only have, you know, essentially three, four days between games because their back seven is a train wreck. Mac Wilson is hurt. Both corners were out. Greedy Wilson or Greedy Williams didn't play last week. Grant Delpit was hurt in training camp. And their back seven looked really, really bad against Lamar Jackson. Joe Burrow is not Lamar Jackson. Zach Taylor is not John Harbaugh. But you wonder here for the Browns, how many adjustments can they make here with this really quick turnaround? Everything is set up for them to win this game. Everything is set up for them to cover this game. Will they do it? Well, that's a different story. You know, one of the things that hurt them last week is that they got behind early and couldn't really run the football. They had to throw it a lot. They had to target OBJ a lot. Seemed like he was kind of, you know, whining and complaining early on in the game. I want my touches. I want my targets. Baker started to force the ball to him. And when they do that, it takes them out of their offense with a lot of different weapons. This week, things probably go differently where they could maybe get a lead, establish that run with the two back system, give Baker some easier throws to make instead of having to go vertical, which he's not particularly good at doing right now. I think everything is set up well for the Browns. The spot favors them. I think that they're, you know, they've got more continuity in the sense that a lot of these guys played together last year. Their offensive line is better. It's Browns are nothing for me, but man, they, they looked so bad last week. You wonder if they can not only win this game, but they've got to win it by margin to cover. 
Yeah, don't you think this line has a chance of going down there, maybe five and a half or five or something? I mean, because I think so. public yeah. perception of this is going to be the Browns sucked in week one. They they were bad in week one. Like I said, the Ravens are really good. And that's something to keep in mind. The Ravens are going to make a lot of teams look bad this season. So be careful about downgrading the Browns too much. I think if you like the Browns, you probably can get a little bit better number than this six right now. And like you, I do think this is a bad spot for the Bengals. Um, you know, both of these coaches are a bit of unknowns. You know, I mean, they're they're both newer guys. And and you couldn't say, well, one coach is a veteran. And he's been in this spot a lot of times. But at the same time, the Browns have less weaknesses than the Bengals do. I think Burrow will probably be a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. But, you know, around him, the talent isn't nearly as good as what the Browns have. The Browns are pretty good on uh, the defensive line. I think that could give the Bengals quite a few problems in this one. And like you said, the Browns weren't really able to use that running attack. They probably can use it here. And I don't know that the Bengals can stop them. So I'm going to lead lean Browns in this one. And as a fan, hope that I'm wrong. Well, there you go. There are our thoughts on the Thursday night football game, the Bengals and the Browns. Got a lot of great thoughts here on ATS.io radio. We certainly encourage you to check out the full podcast uh, along with these highlight video clips that we've got. So before we sign off for the day here, Kyle, anything else NFL related that you want to touch on? Any other games of interest? Any uh, sage words of advice for our listeners as we head into week two? Sage words of advice. I like that. Um, The Vikings and the... uh, Colts here. This is a game where um, I think the Colts might be the right side in this one. I would lean toward the Colts. I think the Vikings are a bit overvalued. I took their season win total under. So this is going to be one that I look to possibly play here. I'm going to look into this game a little bit more. A lot of the action in the early going on the Vikings, 73% of the bets and 86% of the money on the Vikings. I think the Vikings, like I said, move the ball a little bit easier uh, because of the way that game went against Green Bay. But I will say Marlon Mack's injury is is also key, and that's a good reason to bring this game up too. Good thing they drafted Jonathan Taylor, like you said to me before we, we started airing this. this. This is a spot where the Colts aren't in near as bad a spot as they would have been at running back. And the question obviously is, can Phillip Rivers avoid the turnovers? You know, that's been an issue for him the last couple seasons. I do think that if this one gets down to two and a half, I think it started at two and a half, went up to three. There is some juice some places on Minnesota. If I get a two and a half here, I like the Colts. I'll throw out one that I'm looking at here. Uh, this is this is one of those hold your nose types of plays. These are difficult ones to make sometimes in the NFL, but game 271-272 is Buffalo and Miami. And I like Miami getting the five and a half at home here. You know, I, I, I was watching, um, and I'll go ahead and name drop him here because he's a phenomenal handicapper. He's a very, very nice guy. Him and I chat occasionally. But Rob Pozzola does a really good periscope on Sunday mornings for the NFL. Um, and, you know, he kind of talked about the New England game and said, look, you know, people downgraded the Patriots because they don't have Tom Brady anymore. But I think Cam Newton is an upgrade to current Tom Brady. And that's something that really stuck with me. And then you look at what the Patriots did in that game against the Dolphins. They ran the football. They had designed runs for Cam Newton. Their defense, despite having some guys opt out like Chung and Hightower, still played really, really well. I don't think people gave New England enough credit going into that game. Maybe this week against Seattle, people aren't giving New England enough credit. But I think Miami is a better team than they showed last week. I think that was just a case where they didn't know what to expect from New England and Bill Belichick with this new mobile quarterback, this new toy in Cam Newton. 
And New England was pretty good offensively and very good defensively. I know Buffalo is a great defensive team, and I know that they just beat the Jets, who are probably the worst team in the NFL. But, man, I, I kind of like Miami getting the five and a half there. It might be my favorite play of week two, as terrifying as that seems right now here talking about it on Monday. I don't disagree with you. I mean, this line might go up even more than five and a half. So let's see oh, what I'd we can get. Six. Oh, yeah, six. six. I think six could happen. I really do. I don't know if it'll stay there, but, you know, everybody's betting the Bills so far. Like you said, I mean, the Jets are so bad that I don't think you want to give them too much credit for that. And like you said, I think New England might be a bit better than some people think. So um, I would lean uh, the Dolphins in the under in that game, thinking that neither offense could be having too much success. This total's already been bet down. So, you know, below 42 is not something I'd be too interested in. But I think Miami plus the points is a decent look there. I don't think the Bills are a dominant team. I think the Bills are a good team. Their their defense is very good. And Miami, I mean, they're not really that bad of a team, I don't think. I think Miami will be competitive this year. So I agree with that lean as well. Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com, also has his site, bettersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. What's going on over at the websites right now, man? Yeah, two sites to go to now. we got huntersportspicks.com, which will have premium plays and the free picks and newsletter, just as it always has had. Um, sent a newsletter out this past weekend, won that one. I'm 94 and 60 in the last 154 free plays. That was a teaser winner on that one. I've done well with the teasers in the NFL, so uh, look for that one if you haven't signed up for that newsletter as well. Uh, bettersportsfix.com will have premium plays and more free information, videos, systems. It's going to be more uh, free information on that site, uh, new things that I haven't done in the past. So register over at bettersportsfix.com for a free account to get that free member content there at bettersportsfix.com. Well, like I said, make sure that you follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to chat with you once again. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, once again, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. Coming up on Tuesday, I'll do an audio version of the betters box. We'll do some more video content, uh, including some U.S. Open back and forth uh, with myself and Brian Blessing. Thursday, we'll chat with Brad Powers. And then Friday, week two, my thoughts for the Circa Sports Million, uh, hopefully 4-0-1. We'll see what happens tonight with the Denver Broncos. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.